0: Welcome to the RE Podcast, the first dedicated RE podcast for students and teachers. Season 7, Episode 3, The One About Sacraments. My name is Louisa-Jane Smith and this is the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is, and I'll prove it to you. But before I start, you may have noticed some advertising in my episodes it would be really nice to balance out the cost of making this podcast, but I'm aware they may spoil the experience of listening to them. Drop me a message if you have an opinion on this, on Twitter at therepodcast Podcast One, or email me smith at uk or insta at therepodcast. Some of you have kindly bought me a coffee, or five, which made my day. I also have a Patreon page which I'll pop a link to in the show notes. I love doing the podcast and happily produce it for free, but some help with the running costs would be great. Or just ask Spotify to pay royalties to podcasters as well as musicians. Now, I want you to picture this. A parent holding a baby on an altar, and two and a half metres away, a priest stands side on, welding a water gun aimed at the child. You can probably guess what the priest was doing. This is one of my favourite religious pictures ever, and I project it on the board for when the children enter the classroom. It always gets a reaction as the children try to work out what's going on. Then a lesson on baptism begins. Now, I have to admit, I find baptism quite a difficult topic to teach, in particular how to make it engaging. The socially distanced baptism pictures helps, as does YouTube videos on the extreme orthodox infant baptism. But the context of sacraments and the need for baptism linked to sin and forgiveness and the symbolic nature of these rituals is not always accessible to children. So in this episode, I'm going to try and break it down a bit. We'll have a quick look at what sacraments are and a quick look at all seven of them in the Catholic Church. But then we're going to focus on baptism and Holy Communion because those are the two that are specifically mentioned in most exam specs. I think it's always quite handy to relate what we're teaching to things the children have experienced, so I'll give some examples of that too. I will do a second episode on marriage, which is one of the sacraments and comes up in the theme section of GCSERE, but let's start with the word sacrament. What does it mean? To understand this, you need to realise that in Christianity there is a physical world and a spiritual world. The physical world you can see and touch and taste and smell. The spiritual world you can't see or touch or taste or smell. Humans are part of the physical world, so we experience things through our senses. God is from the spiritual world, so Christians can't really experience God through their senses. Neither can they experience things that God does through their senses. You can't physically see God's forgiveness. So what Christians have done is create a physical action to represent the good things God has done these good things are called blessings. So the definition of sacrament is an outward sign of an inward blessing. Sacraments are things you do in the physical world around you that represent something God has done spiritually inside of you. I know this sounds a bit complicated, but actually it's something that most of us experience all the time. Let's take marriage, for example, specifically the ring. Right, go and get a ring and put it On the fourth finger of your left hand, the one next to your little finger. Are you now married? No. If you are married and you wear a ring, take it off. Are you now not married? No. But when you get married, you place a ring on that finger. And subsequently, if you get divorced, you will take it off. The ring does not make you married. The ring is a symbol that you are married but it is a significant symbol. I know this because taking my wedding ring off after my marriage ended was quite a difficult step. In the same way, when you hug someone, the hug is a symbol of your love and care for that person. It is not the love or care itself. Every day we do something on the outside which represents something going on on the inside. Smiling, laughing and crying for example. These are outside physical representations of emotions we are feeling on the inside that you can't see. They are not the emotion themselves, hence why we can smile even when we're not feeling happy. In the Catholic and Orthodox churches, there are seven of these sacraments. These outward signs of inward blessings. The first one is baptism, when you welcome a baby into the church. The second one is confirmation when the person confirms that they are a Christian for themselves. Number three is Holy Communion, a meal which symbolises Jesus dying for your sins. Four is Confession, when you say sorry for the wrong things you've done and receive forgiveness. Five is Anointing of the Sick, to represent God's healing of people when they are ill. Six is Holy Orders, for those that want to become priests. And seven is Marriage, to symbolise two people being joined together. Now, the Protestant church only have two sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion, hence why these are the two that are usually included in the exam specification, so you can compare and contrast how different denominations perform them. So let's start with baptism. What is it? How and when do different churches undertake it? And how do we teach it? Now, the word baptism comes from a Greek word meaning to dip or submerge into something. But it's not just a practice unique to Christianity. There is evidence of baptism in the Old Testament. Clearly Jesus was baptised hundreds of years before the Christian practice of baptism and pagans also sometimes baptise people. My own baptism was in Sherbrooke in Canada as that's where my maternal grandparents lived. My grandfather was French-Canadian and my English nan was a war bride. It's a very romantic story for another time. Now I was told that I cried the whole time and threw up over the priest. But my mum and her mum were Catholics and it was an important ritual when a new baby was born. But why? In the Catholic Church, baptism is done as a baby as it is an opportunity for the parents to promise to bring the child up in the Christian faith. And for those who attend the church to welcome the baby into their community. The parents also choose two people to be godparents and it is their role to support the parents in bringing up the child as a Christian and promised to continue this role in the event of the death of the parents. But Catholics believe all humans are born sinful. This is because of Psalm 51 verse 5, which states, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Romans also exclaims that all are sinful and fallen short of God's standards. Catholics believe that the original sin of Adam and Eve is passed down from generation to generation. Therefore, it is so necessary to baptise the baby to rid them of that original sin. During the ceremony, there is tonnes of symbolism. The baby often wears a white outfit. This is a symbol of purity and cleanliness, in the hope they will become like Jesus and not sin. But also, baptism represents their sins being washed away, which also makes them clean. There is a candle which is given to the baby to show that Jesus is the light of the world and will light up or show the child how to live. Oil is used on the baby's head. Now, oil often represents the Holy Spirit in the Bible. The Holy Spirit will be with the baby to give it guidance and strength to live a Christian life. But probably the most significant symbol is water. Water is poured over the baby's head, often from a scallop shell, three times. The three times represents the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The scallop shell is probably an ancient symbol of life and fertility from Roman and pagan times. In the physical world, water washes away dirt and cleanses things and gives things life. But we already know that sacraments are outward signs of inward blessings. So the water does not literally wash away sin. The water is a symbol that God has forgiven our sin. God can forgive sins because Jesus took the punishment for our sin on himself. The punishment for sin is death and Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for sin so humans could be forgiven. It's important to emphasise that just like the ring on your finger doesn't make you married, the water doesn't wash away your sin. It is a physical symbol of what God has done spiritually. Some people argue that it is wrong to baptise babies. There are many reasons for this, the first being that the child cannot consent. This may be a strong point because of our belief about the importance of consent. However, there are many things a baby has no consent over. What it wears, where it goes, what it eats, whether or not to be inoculated against diseases, what its name is. The parents make these decisions on behalf of the child based on what they believe is best for the child. As the child gets older, it will make more and more of these decisions for themselves. In the same way, the child can continue in the Christian faith when it is older, or it can choose not to. I was baptised, but I no longer adhere to Christianity. Another argument against infant baptism is that Jesus was an adult when he was baptised, and afterwards God was well-pleased. Yes, God is tote street. If God is a role model for Christians, then they should try to be like him. This seems to be another strong argument against infant baptism. However, is Jesus' baptism really a model for Christians today? For one thing, why on earth did Jesus have to be baptised? Unlike humans, he was without sin, so it seems entirely pointless. Even his cousin John, who baptised him, tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you. And do you come to me? For Christians, Jesus' baptism confirms that Jesus was fully human like us, but also fully God. God refers to him as his Son, that he is pleased with him, and the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. Jesus is therefore the perfect role model and path to heaven. But look, infant baptism isn't harmful to the child, it welcomes the child into a community that will care for it. And it also gives the parents an opportunity to celebrate this child. When I had children, I really missed the opportunity religion provides to be grateful for the miracle of life. So I actually created my own ceremony to mark the occasion. It feels necessary to create ceremonies to celebrate things, regardless of your worldview. We celebrate birthdays, marriages, exam results. So why not celebrate births? Orthodox churches also baptise babies, but rather than pouring water over the baby's head, they fully submerge or alternately dip the head and then the feet into water three times. The three times represents Jesus' birth, death and resurrection. Typically in the Protestant tradition, they practice adult baptism, although it isn't unusual to baptise babies in some more traditional Protestant churches. But for the purpose of comparison in the GCSE exam, it is helpful to focus on believers' baptism. Like Ron Seal, believers' baptism does what it says on the tin. It baptises people who have decided for themselves to believe in Jesus. Typically, this involves full submersion, i.e. the whole body is taken underwater and brought back up. Sometimes churches have a pool under their altar or they bring in a temporary one. Or, if they can, they go to a local body of water, like a lake or a river or a sea. I grew up in Brighton and used to attend beach baptisms. It's pretty cool. The person getting baptised will stand in the water with two people either side, who will take them back into the water, so the person is lying under the water, and then bring them back up out of the water. Now, I want you to try and picture it right now. Picture this happening and then decide what it represents. Have you got it? It represents dying and then being raised again. Did you get it? Well done if you did. Gold star. This has so many layers of meaning. Obviously it represents Jesus dying and resurrecting. It also has the water symbolism of washing away your sin from head to toe. But it also symbolises the death of your old self which was sinful and disobedient and you are raised as your new self following Jesus. And lastly that your sin brought death but Jesus brings eternal life. The person who is being baptised often tells the story of how and why they became a Christian and they'll invite Christians and non-Christians to be part of this ceremony. Sometimes this can be seen as a form of evangelism because they have the opportunity to explain the Christian faith to their non-believing friends. Some Christians favour believers' baptism because the person decides for themselves to be a Christian. They fully understand what it means and they are following the example of Jesus who was baptised as an adult. Typically, they do not believe that humans are born sinful, but that at some point in their life, everybody will sin. Baptism symbolises that all past, present and future sin is forgiven. Now standing up and stating things publicly seems to be the natural inclination for any human. Marriage is a public declaration of love, funerals of loss, gender reveal parties being sworn into the guides or scouts coming out. It is therefore no surprise that Christians want a public declaration of their faith. So how would this relate to GCSE questions? Obviously, a definition question on sacraments or baptism, or even a two-marker asking for two Christian sacraments. Obviously, a classic would be to explain two contrasting ways Christians perform baptism. The easiest would be to compare infant baptism with believers' baptism, citing their belief or not in original sin as the reason for this belief. But you could get a 12-marker with a statement like, Infant baptism is not necessary. You might also get a 12 marker, like baptism is the most important sacrament. You can clearly see how important it is for students to know their key words, but also to be able to contrast different denominations and different sacraments. So let's look at a different sacrament. Let's look at Holy Communion. Right, you've heard of bread and wine, right? Well, Holy Communion is where you eat bread and drink wine. But because of your now excellent knowledge of sacraments, I suspect you're thinking it's probably a bit more than that. That yes, on the outside, in the physical world, Christians are just eating bread and drinking wine. But there's going to be something going on on the inside. And you'd be right. Second gold star. Right, you remember Jesus? He's quite famous. Even my mum has heard of him. Well, spoiler alert, he died. But being God, he knew he was going to die. So the night before he died, he did what all of us would do if we knew it was our last night on earth. He spent it with his closest friends, his disciples. They were in a room together eating a meal. Because it was Passover, the disciples weren't particularly fazed by this. This would have been a normal thing to do at Passover. But then Jesus did something a little weird. I mean, Jesus' disciples were used to Jesus doing crazy things like riding on donkeys into Jerusalem, tipping over tables in the temples, and letting women wash his feet with expensive perfume. But during the meal, he does something that I don't think anyone present could make sense of. He took some bread, and he broke it. This itself isn't too out of the ordinary, although remember this was Passover, so it would have been unleavened bread, a posh word for bread that isn't given time to rise, and not the nice puffy loaf that is often shown in pictures but it's what Jesus says that makes it interesting. He says this, Take and eat. This is my body. Now, I don't know about you, but if one of my mates asked me to eat bread imagining it's their body, I might politely decline and back away slowly from the crazy person. But this, my friends, is a metaphor. Cross-curricular links here. The bread is a symbol of Jesus' body which is about to be broken to pay for sin. So when Christians eat bread during Holy Communion, it is a reminder of the physical suffering Jesus' body went through to pay for their sin. Now, this next bit is often either misquoted or slightly misunderstood. Jesus does not take the wine and say, this is my blood, drink it. Jesus was not a first century vampire. Furthermore, Jesus and most of the disciples were Jewish, is completely against Jewish food laws to consume blood from any creature. Jesus said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The wine represents, another metaphor, a new covenant between God and humans. A covenant is a binding promise between God and humans. This new promise, or this new covenant, is the promise of eternal life because of what Jesus was about to do the next day. Take our punishment for sin, death. There are layers of meaning here. The punishment for sin has always been death. In the Old Testament, the Israelites had to sacrifice their best animal to God to pay for their sin. And they had to do this annually because they kept on sinning. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice because he was perfect, not just the best so his sacrifice would pay for all sins once and for all. He was literally going to spill his blood to pay for our sin, and the wine is a symbol of this. I think the symbolism was lost on some of the disciples and early Christians, and those watching this new religion emerge, as they were regularly accused of cannibalism. Christians regularly read the story of the Last Supper and eat the bread and drink wine together as a physical act, which helps them remember the sacrifice Jesus made and the promise of eternal life. And it is known as Holy Communion. As Jesus did it, it is holy, meaning special or sacred or set apart. And as you do it as a community, hence the communion part. But sometimes it's known as the Eucharist. Scary word alert. A word from Greek meaning thanksgiving, which gives us a reason for this ritual. To be grateful, an important and underrated human emotion. Now, Protestants and Catholics tend to perform this sacrament differently. Catholics tend to use a small, white, round wafer called a host instead of bread. In some ways, it is closer to the unleavened bread Jesus used. It also has the advantage of not going mouldy and being cheap and easy to store. There are over a billion Catholics in the world, so this is significant. Protestants tend to use actual bread. Catholics use communion wine, which is sweet like sherry. Protestants tend to use grape juice. I'll be honest, I love the real bread of the Protestant churches and the Catholic communion wine. but Always disappointed I only get one little sip. I once went to a church that had different bread and wine for different dietary needs. Alcoholic and alcohol-free wine. Gluten-free bread plus bread with gluten. All very inclusive. Catholics tend to go up to the altar, the front of the church, to receive the bread and wine and you have to have had your First Holy Communion to do this. Your First Holy Communion happens around seven years old and you have a series of classes to teach you about what it means and then you have a special mass, a special service, where the girls dress up like a bride, boys dress up like a groom and you take the Holy Communion for the first time in front of your family and friends. I remember doing mine and it made me feel really special and grown up, and I loved every moment of it. In Protestant churches, you receive Holy Communion if you choose to as a Christian. They also tend to distribute the bread and wine where people are sitting. Catholics do this every Sunday, Protestants often do it monthly. But there is one most significant difference between Holy Communion in Protestant and Catholic churches. Protestants believe the bread and wine stay bread and wine and are consumed as symbols of Jesus' body and the new covenant. Many Catholics, however, believe in something called wait for it, it's a very scary word, transubstantiation. Right, let's break it down. Trans, as you know, means change, like transformers or transsexual. Substan comes from substance, what something is made of, and ation means a process. So, transubstantiation means the process by which something changes what it's made of. Catholics believe when the bread and wine is blessed, it changes substance from bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. You can kind of see why many early Christians were labelled as cannibals. In this way, Jesus is believed to live inside each Christian. Now, obviously there is no scientific evidence for this, But for Catholics, it's often just taking the symbolism further to fully embrace the meaning of Jesus' death. But for others, this is missing the deeper meaning of the symbolism. When Jesus said, this is my body, maybe it was a metaphor, or maybe he did mean it literally. You decide. Now, I think Holy Communion is a much more difficult sacrament to make parallels with to non-religious rituals, But the one that jumps to mind for me is the birthday cake. Take a step back and observe this strange ritual. You make or buy a cake. You then stick wax sticks into it with wicks in that you set alight. One for each year that the birthday represents. Until you get to about 12 or 13 where it just gets a bit silly. You turn all the lights off and present the lit up cake to whoever's birthday it is and then they blow the candles out and make a secret wish. You then take out all the candles, cut up, and eat the cake that someone has just blown all over. Humans are weird creatures. So if a question on the definition of Eucharist comes up, or contrasting ways it's celebrated, or a 12-marker about transubstantiation, then you should be well-prepared. Before we end, I want to just take a minute to think of poor Jesus, who at the Last Supper promised not to drink wine until the end of the world. He said this, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Two thousand years and still counting. So next week I will be looking at marriage, what is the biblical basis for it, the rules around it and the meaning of the various symbols within the wedding ceremony. I hope you'll join me. My name is Louisa-Jane Smith and this has been the RE Podcast. The podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is. I've just proved it with priests with water guns, cannibalism and wine. But thank you so much for letting me bore the life out of you.